We're going to explore the Sikha, look at the Sikha's Chalakit Ches, Pinchas, Sikha number three. So, as is my custom, you know, more of a general overview of the Sikha. So, the Sikha begins by telling us that the Haftarah usually has a connection to the Torah portion. And the reason is simply because most Haftorahs are modeled after the Torah portion. As we know, there was a time when they couldn't read Torah, there was a decree. So instead they read the Haftorah, they chose a part of the Nevi'im and Oksuvim that re- reflect the Torah portion. So that's the connection. And the Rebbe says, but even during the three weeks when we read Haftorahs that are not necessarily directly related to the Torah portion, meaning those Haftorahs were chosen not because of their connection to the Torah portion, but because of the fact that they are what's called Klosa de Puranusa, the three Haftorahs of rebuke, if you will, as fitting the three weeks of the destruction, etc., to get us to do tshuva. And then followed, by, of course, by Sheba and Nechemta, the seven Haftorahs of comfort. Uh, all ten of these, really, are not chosen nominally because of their connection to the Torah portion. They're, con- they're chosen because of their connection to the time of the year. In fact, it's not always the exact same Torah portion for all of these. Says the Rebbe, nevertheless, in Torah, everything is perfect. And therefore, since some years, or most years, Pinchas lines up with the Haftorah, with the first of these three Haftorahs of rebuke, discussing uh, Yirmiya, the prophet Jeremiah, and how he became a prophet and etc. Therefore, there needs to be a connection between these two figures, Pinchas, the hero, if you will, of Parshas Pinchas, and Yirmiya, the, the person, the Haftorah hero. What's the connection? So, and it, it's interesting, it doesn't just discuss Yirmiya. Anyway, so the Rebbe says on the face of it, first of all, before you even start, these two great tzaddikim have something very interesting in common. Namely, they both come from non-Jewish women. Pinchas' grandmother or great-grandmother, depends which opinion you go by, was the daughter of Jethro, of Yisro, a Midianite woman. Yirmiya is a descendant, generations back, of Rochav, the non-Jewish woman who hosted the two spies sent by Joshua, by Yehoshua, who stayed at her home, and uh, her family was speared because of what she did for the Jewish people. And according to the Talmud, she converted, even though she was living a life of great sin, she was a, a woman of ill repute. But nevertheless, she converted and became a great Jewess. And according to the Talmud, she married Yehoshua, and from her came Seven prophets, if I remember correctly, including Yirmiya, Jeremiah. So both Jeremiah and Pinchas have non-Jewish women uh, in their in, in their uh, prodigy, in their in their history, in their ancestry. And in fact, both of these great uh, tzaddikim were teased by the Jews. Therefore, the people didn't want to listen to Pinchas. Who are you to get up and be a, a zealous? Your great-grandfather was stuffing animals for, for idolatry. And similarly, Jeremiah, there were those who were naysayers. And in both cases, the Torah, the, the, the scripture, the Sukkim, stands up for them by giving their Jewish lineage. Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron, the Kohen. Normally, you only say a father, not a grandfather. Additionally, it's repeated. The end of last week's portion, it already said his lineage. Why repeat it? To say, aha, you think he's Pinchas, he's because he's coming from idolatry and he, he's, he likes to take the shed blood. No, he's a descendant of Aaron, the high Cohen, the high priest, the lover of peace, the lover of kindness. 
So the Torah defends him. And similarly, by Yirmiya in today's Torah, it begins, ben These are the words of Jeremiah, son of Chilkiyo, min ha-koyanim. Right away, giving him lineage to the, to the Koyanim, to the Jewish priesthood. So the Torah is defending these people uh, who were ridiculed by Jews because of their non-Jewish background. So that's something in common, says the Rebbe. But it's got to be more than that. It can't just be, hey, they both have the same issue. It's got to be an a, 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 a issue of content, of meaning that they share in common if the two portions, if the two great men come together. So that's the question that Rebbe is trying to uh, address. The Rebbe also says it's interesting that we don't just talk about Yirmiya's prophecy in this Haftorah, where he tells the people that uh, you better watch out. I see in my prophecy uh, a branch of almonds. It takes 21 days for almonds to grow. This is the 21 days of punishment, that in a very quick time, like almonds grow quickly in 21 days, the three weeks, 21 days, there's going to be rebuke, and God says, I'm empowering you to go out and to destroy and to rebuke and to build. And he's giving them the haftorah of, uh, God forbid, the terrible things that might come to pass. But before he does that, the first part of the haftorah is a whole long discussion of how he first became a prophet. And why is that there? It's a whole discussion. God comes to him and says, Hello, you're a prophet. And he says, uh, who am I? I can't even speak. I'm a child. God says, uh-uh. You should know that you are going to be a navi and a, a leader to the nations, to nations. And you'll build and you'll, you'll destroy. You got what it takes. But who am I? I'm just a little guy. No. Before you were born in the womb, I'm quoting. Before you were born in the, in the womb, I have known you, says God. And, and before you... Uh, before you came forth, I, ha- I have made you holy, etc. And um, all of this stuff describing how wonderful he is. Um, the language is before you were formed in the born in the womb, God says, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I've made you holy. I'll make you a prophet to the nations. And don't be afraid. I'll tira, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. You can do this. You can handle it. You got this. Says that ever. Why is that important to the Haftarah? The Haftorah is there to tell us Yirmiya's rebuke of the people as fitting the three weeks. Do I need to know his history? Of how he started his history? Let the Haftorah begin with that section. The Torah cuts and pastes uh, even within the same chapter. It has no need to go back. So the Rebbe goes in by discussing who's Pinchas and what makes him special. And we're going to revisit Jeremiah's connection at the end of the Sikha. But for now, let's minimize that window of those two questions. Question A, what's the common denominator really of Pinchas and Jeremiah, other than the fact that they both come from non-Jewish women? And B, why does Aftari give us the whole history of how God encouraged him to become a prophet and he thought he wasn't worthy, and he really was? Let's minimize that, those two questions, and let's zero in on the discussion of who is Pinchas, and what is he all about? What is this Pinchas thing? He's basically an unknown figure, and suddenly, are you kidding? He comes onto the scene, and he's a Kohen, and he wasn't a Kohen until now. And all of his children and grandchildren, all generations, God made him a covenant because if he stood up for the Jewish people, and uh, he did something difficult, and he saved them from the plague, and God said, because you saved my people, and you removed my wrath, unbelievable, I owe you everything. You're going to be Kohens forever. Who is he? What's he about? What's so special about him? 
that God doesn't just reward him, but it makes a whole big deal. The covenant of peace, he becomes Elijah the prophet. He comes to every bris. We read this section in every bris, these first four or five verses. That Pinchas, the son of Aaron, the son of Allah, the son of Aaron, the peace, the high priest, he took away my wrath. And, he, and because of him, I didn't destroy the people. And I give him my covenant of peace. And him and his children, I'm quoting from all generations, will have an everlasting covenant of of uh, of, of, of uh, kahuna, of uh, priesthood, because of what he did and grained atonement and took away my wrath for the people of Israel. What is so special? Were there no others who did great things? I mean, if God is rewarding this Pinchas, nominally it seems because he took away God's wrath and saved the Jews. Well, guess what? And because of that, his line will be forever Kohen's. Moses saved the Jews too last time I checked, and not once, but numerous times. Every time God was upset and wanted to destroy us, Moshe Rabbeinu stood up and saved us. And yet, he didn't get that reward. I mean, Moses is great, and he has tremendous reward and everything else, but he doesn't have that reward of his children taking over his glory and becoming his extension in the role as the next Moses and their children after them. In fact, in today's portion, Moses asked for that. I would love my children when today's parsha Moses says to Hashem, uh, who's going to take over? There's got to be a continuity. Once he realized that he wouldn't be taking the Jews into the land, and Hashem tells him to appoint Joshua. And according to commentary, what he was really saying is, please, I would love my children to inherit my glory. It's not that Moses is looking for glory, but there's no greater thing than your children continuing in your path and carrying that torch that you carry. And Hashem said it's not to be. As great as Moses is, his children do not continue his line. There was no next Moses and a next Moses. It went over to Joshua. But why not? Pinchas saved the Jews once from God's wrath and through sin. He's got an eternal legacy. Moses saves the Jews time and again and again. He doesn't have that kind of legacy in the in a simple sense, a familial legacy. So the Rebbe says, let's discuss these two souls. In Hasidus and Kabbalah, it's discussed that there's two types of souls. Even among the righteous, there's Moses-type souls and Pinchas-type souls. Uh, the souls of Moses are perhaps loftier souls coming from the world of Atzilus and the soul of Pinchas and the rest of us, really. But Pinchas is the highest level of those lower souls. They're called souls of the lower worlds, of Bia, of Beria, of the lower worlds, not Atzilus. In the language of the Sicha, they're called Neshamis of Ban. So let me just for a second introduce this concept, this Kabbalistic concept. There are Neshamis of Ma and Neshamis of Ban. Ma are loftier souls, like Moses-type souls. And uh, also known as Zeta Adam, souls, let's call them human-level souls, Adam, referring to the supernal man. And the lower level soul, Neshama Deban, sometimes known as Behema, animal soul. Now, what's the connection? This is just sort of FYI between Ma, a soul with, which comes from God's name of Ma, to the Adam level, and the Neshama, which comes from God's name of Ban, to the Behema level. So it's explained Ma represents the world of Atsilus. Ma means what is. In Atsilus, it's like Chachma, where Ma reigns supreme. It's a soul, a custom, a place, where it's totally nothing. It says, what am I? I'm nothing, like Moses. Moses said numerous times, Nachnu Ma, what are we? He was nothing. 
He's total humility, total nullification. It's like he almost doesn't exist. He's transparent to Hashem and his bishop. In fact, he's called Moshe because he was plucked from the water, the water representing the source of it all, Hashem's energy. And he's plucked from the water, which means even as he comes down in the human body, he takes the express. He doesn't take the local. He doesn't come down and become totally human. I mean, he is, but his soul is walking around like a piece of divine soul in a body. And he's at the level of Ma, higher level of Hashem's name. And Ma, and he's therefore, Ma is 45. It's the name of Hashem. And it's called the Shema of souls of Adam. They reflect the supernal man by comparison to the other souls that are called Behema. And Behema is the numerical of Ban, 52, lower level soul. All of these souls, to be sure, are not animal souls. They're all human souls. In fact, Jewish souls, divine souls. However, on that level, the higher level is like a person by comparison to the lower level being an animal, namely, both a person and an animal can see and can hear and experience, but a human knows what they're seeing. A human identifies and connects. The language is das, and that is only true with souls of Atsilos. To them, God is so real, they connect to it. It's not information, it's fact. Whereas the souls of Bria and lower, like a behemoth, like an animal, they see, they hear it, they don't quite connect to it. It's still information, it's still something new and outside. It's not as real as the higher level souls. Moshe will be Ma, that higher level, and Pinchas, Elijah, will be the poster boys of the highest level of Neshamas of Ban, even as they're great tzaddiks, but they are Neshamas of Ban or Bria, which we call the souls that are called Zeta Behema, Behema being the numerical of Ban. Just real quick, I'm just going to tell you where these names come from Kabbalistically. We know the four letters of God's name, Yudke Vavke. If you write them out in full, that means you have to put a vowel in them. So if you're writing out in full, so the Yud is Yud Vav Dalet. What about the Hey Vav and the Hey? What are the vowels you're going to put in there? So there's a few ways to do this. You can use the Yud vowel, like in the first, uh, 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 the first equation here. You can use the Hey vowel, or the Aleph vowel, rather, or you can use the Hey vowel. These are three different equations of how the name of God can add up. And they equal to certain numbers, and therefore they have certain energies. For full disclosure, there's a fourth way that this is done where it's mixing some of these vowels together and you get a different name of God with equals to 63. I didn't bother putting it up because it's not relevant here. Even this is, is, is a little bit extra information. But I just thought it would be interesting. I used this in my own shir, in my own Chabad, and people enjoyed seeing where these names come from. We say God has a name called Shema, 45. Why does God have 45? God's name is only 26. Another name called Shem Ban, 52. Where did he get it from? So this is how the equation works out. So if we use the Yud vowel, it equals to 72. Just do the math from the top level. 72 is the numerical of the word chesed, kindness. This represents the highest name of Hashem, if you will. Uh, this is not chesed as one of the seven emotions, which is measured and balanced by severity. This is Rav chesed, the infinite chesed that you find in God's crown, uh, perhaps connected to the 13 attributes of mercy. What have you? That's a very, very lofty name of God. The name of 72, known mystically as Shem Ab, Ayin Bet. And it, it works because it equals Chesed, which means God's eternal kindness beyond limitation. But then we have the name of 45, which 45 is Ma, Mem Hey, which 
is created through the equation of using the Aleph and whatever the Aleph represents. It's not important to get into every detail, but if you add up that middle equation, you have exactly 45. So Ma means 45. Ma equals the word Adam. And as I said before, what is Adam? Someone to whom God is absolutely real. And therefore, by extension, Ma, they're going to feel like they're nothing. Total bittle, total nullification, or oneness with Hashem, however you wish. And that is souls of Atsilus, because that's the place where people, where, where souls were access the level of Adam, the supernal man, and souls access that relationship where they feel Ma, like Moshe, like Moses, nothing. There's nothing but Hashem. Nachnu Ma, we're nothing. Whereas the lower level souls, and here we use the letter hey, hey is a lower level uh, level of letter for whatever the reason, not important now. And here you get to 52, which is ban. And ban is the numerical of the word behema. The word behema equals 52. And as said before, these are souls that uh, relate to God, so to speak, like a behema without the actual knowledge of his truth. They don't see it. Uh, the way it's as a reality in Atsilos, to them, it's um, it's something they experience, but not as real. And these are going to become the two categories of the Sicha. Moshe is the Ma Neshama. He's the Adam Neshama, the Atsilos. And Pinchas, and similarly, or the Yohanavi, who's really an extension of Pinchas, they were either actually the same person or certainly the same soul. Pinchas Ze Eliyahu. They will be a ban or a behema soul, uh, albeit very lofty souls. I think we're all in the category of ban, but obviously we are much lower down on totem pole. You know, they may be very high in the world of Berea, and we can be Yetzirah or Asiya, and very low down there. Either way, but in terms of category, it all falls into ban. But Pinchas and Elijah, these giant people, giant souls, tzaddikim. However, not not tzaddikim souls, but ban. And incidentally, the word Eliyahu also equals exactly 52, hinting to this connection. And as the Rebbe is saying in this Sicha, Pinchas and Moshe represent these two paradigms. And what is their role? Why did God make two types of souls? You might say in a general way, it's a little bit like Tzadikim and Balichuba. The goal of all Neshamas, which are all really a part of Hashem, ultimately in their essence and, and in their source, but their goal is, namely, to bring Hashem to the world, to make a derivative and to bring Mashiach. However, there's two ways to do this, top-down and bottom-up. Then is Shama like Moshe Rabbeinu, and of course there are many others, I assume probably the Rabbeim and the Rabshim these lofty souls uh, that shone their light on the world. They did it top-down. To them, physicality wasn't real. To them, the neshama is real. The body is just a tool. It's needed. You need to be here. You need a body. But primarily, their job was to shine the light of Taita, of Kedusha, from above, and their visitors, so to speak, in the body. They see the world from Hashem's perspective. And then the neshama of Ban is not a visitor in the body at all. The body is primary. You might say almost the body is almost more primary than the soul. And they very much relate to the body, to their own body, and to the physicality around them. It's real to them. It's a challenge to them. However, they're powerful souls, especially if they're tzaddikim, and they they're misakin, they're mitakin it, they 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 clean it out, they elevate it, they refine it. Their own body and the world around them. They work from the bottom up, cleansing the negativity until it shines 
Whereas a tzaddik doesn't get involved in the negativity. He's not cleansing anything. He's just shining the light on it. And the Rebbe is going to say here, this is Moshe versus Pinchas. And that's why we see Moshe is very much top down. Moshe, uh, for example, when the Jews were in trouble, he did something spiritual because he's spiritual. That's his essence. What did he do? He prayed. Whereas Pinchas jumped into action. He's bottom up. Also, another way we see this paradigm, Moshe and Pinchas both had Mesidus Nefer self-sacrifice for the Jewish people. But Moshe did it spiritually. He said to God, if you're not going to forgive them, wipe me out of your book. This is a tremendous self-sacrifice. But it's a self-sacrifice of his soul. Not that he was lacking physical self-sacrifice. He would have it in a second. But that wasn't his tikkun. That wasn't his mission. That wasn't his thing. He needs to sacrifice his body. His body's not even important. It's not a challenge. It's not an issue. His self-sacrifice is soul, because that's who he is, in essence. Whereas Pincha's self-sacrifice was body. The people of Shimon wanted to kill him because of what he did to their tribe leader. And he was miraculously saved. He literally put his life on the line, and he saved the Jews by stopping the plague, etc. So right away, we see that Moshe is all about soul. Pincha's is about body. Moshe is about prayer and spirituality. Pincha's is about action. And these become Jews whose primary goal, you might say, is Torah study versus mitzvahs, or shining the light of goodness, or actually spreading the word among other Jews, not just doing their own, but the outreach that ever puts in the category of the Pinchas category, bottom up. Just to add spice to this, it is said that Elijah the prophet not all of this is in the Sikha, but I'm filling in the, the picture, the puzzle. Elio Anavi never died. He's the only Jew that we know about, so to speak, that his body ascended on high. Even Moshe Rabbeinu Moses was buried. So the question is, what is he greater than Moshe Rabbeinu? And Hasidus explains exactly this conversation. He refined the body so much until it became so refined that it went to heaven. Moses, Moshe didn't bother refining the body. The body wasn't an impediment to him. The body was like an antenna to the soul, it was meaningless. He's living on a soul level, body. <laughs> Don't worry about him, I, I couldn't care less really. He's living soul, he's shining soul. And therefore at the end, the body remained a body, a very holy refined body, but nevertheless a body had to be buried. Where the lines of the prophet came down, surely a great soul, but nevertheless, primarily a soul that, that connects the body. And he spent a life of holiness till the body became so refined and more refined till the body became like a soul because he's bottom up. It is said sometimes that that's why he comes to every bris. Because what is the bris? The bris is the ultimate bottom up tikkun, bitter. The ultimate way of purifying the physical. Bottom up is going to the most physical place, the place of the bris, and saying, no, this is holy. This is a covenant with Hashem. That's a model for Elijah the prophet, or Pinchas, for a neshama of Ban, a tzaddik, of a neshama, a behema, a bottom up neshama. You think the world is an impediment for Hashem? We're going to take the bris and make it into a cup. In contrast to Moses, who never had a bris. He didn't need a bris. He was born circumcised. She saw him that he's good, says the Torah. I mean, he was born. Does he need a bris? Does his body have a covering for something holy? It's not possible. It's true by every nishama, the ma, But in his case, physically, it was manifest. So we have these two models.
Normally, you ask anybody who's greater, there's no question. The Shama the Ma is on a different level. It's in the Shama Vatsilos, in the Shama where Hashem is absolute reality. Zeta Odom, seed of man, so to speak. It's beyond, you can't even compare. But in this Sicha, the Rebbe says, I want to tell you something else. There's something special about Pinchas souls, even by comparison to the Moses souls. And it's manifest in the fact. I said earlier that Moses and Pinchas, even though they both saved the Jews, and Moses many times, Pinchas really only once that we know of. But at the same time, Moses did not have longevity in his family in terms of Jewish leadership, and Pinchas did. Says the Rebbe, because when it comes to the concept of continuity and consistency, the bottom-up model works better. That's explained in Hasidus by way of analogy of two great teachers, two great masters who are trying to impress wisdom on students. One will come into the room and, and, and put forth tremendous wisdom. And the people in the room will be awed and blown away and, and, and inspired and elevated by the great tremendous wisdom that they're hearing. Wow, it's brilliant and it's lofty and they're blown away. The second teacher comes in and doesn't blow them away. May not even present lofty wisdom. Rather, he will give them tools for them to explore wisdom on their own so that they can be elevated into the realm of the wisdom. And their wisdom is not going to be anywhere near the first teacher's wisdom. It's going to be here. The first teacher's wisdom is way up here. However, it'll be their own because they, they've gotten the tools and they can continue to grow. So there's a plus and minus in both. The first teacher, the top-down teacher the, who's giving revelation, is dealing with much higher stuff compared to the other one. Conversely, the other one is empowering and transforming the student and becomes his own. The difference becomes when the teacher leaves the room. While the teacher is in the room, the first teacher is much more exciting. But when the teacher leaves the room, can the student now learn on their own and apply the wisdom? The second student is much better. And this is a model that ever talks about in many sikhas. The revelation model and the transformation model, if you will. No, Milo Lamata top down, when divine light is revealed and seen, like the Balchuba, on the bottom up. And this is the, one of the big differences of these two types of nishamas. So, although nominally Moshe's soul, the Ma's soul is much greater, but in terms of impacting the physical family and the future, there's a great virtue to Pinchas. Moshe's a great teacher, he's shining tremendous lights. But there's no telling if the student will really embrace it for the future. And therefore, there was no continuity, at least in his physical family. Obviously, his message is eternal and all that. But in terms of his children and their children, there was no guarantee. And in fact, it didn't pan out that way. Why? It's a tremendous light. But the student remains who they are. And they're not transformed when the teacher leaves the room. They're left wanting. Whereas Pinchas, the bottom-up person, he transformed the student, he transformed the physical realm, he transformed the Jewish people physically, transformed himself physically. And now, it's forever. That student who has the tools of learning, who knows, who gets the idea, who's been empowered to, to study on their own, it'll never end, bottom-up has the virtue of longevity. And that's why Pinchas' family always carries this torch. So this becomes the real theme of the Sicha. 
explaining and expounding on these two great souls and how they complement each other. And normally we speak of Moshe as much greater, no question. But during the three weeks, which is the time of darkness, it's a Pinchas time. And that's the connection to Jeremiah, Yirmiya. He too dealt in dark times. And yet he was able to overcome. Just like Pinchas came at a very dark moment and transformed it to a great light. Because they're both, Yirmiya, the name is from the word mar, bitterness. He's not shining lights. He's dealing down and dirty with the challenges, with the bitterness, and he's going to find the goodness. And that is why, says the Rebbe, both of them come from non-Jewish women. Both of them come from a place of unholiness, if you will, and yet they transform it, and they become the greatest people. And that is not an accident at all. That's part of the plan. They come from negativity, but they transform negative. They're not just coming from a great holiness and sharing that light. Their whole idea is this hapka transformation and etc. And therefore, in a sense, it's a much greater uh, accomplishment. And it relates to the three weeks. It's the time of the year of sadness, of bitterness, of darkness. Yirmiya says, I can handle three weeks. Pincha says, I can handle three weeks. Why did God make three weeks? To make us sad? No. To teach us the concept that darkness can be transformed. And now, in a sense, when there's real darkness, when there's three weeks, we need more Jeremiah and Pinchas than we need Moses and Isaiah. The Sikha Rebbe puts Isaiah, Yeshaya, sort of in the Moses column of, of, of positive light, of comfort. That's great. That's later. That's after Tisha B'Av more. So. Um, but now we're focusing on, on that message, on the bottom up um, message. In case this will help somebody, I'm just going to add one sentence that this paradigm, this model, as discussed a lot in the Sikhs, and the Rebbe explains it in the, the first base Hamigdash versus the second base Hamigdash. The first was very much top down translation. There were open miracles. It was divine light. There were 10 constant miracles. There was the Shechina, the Unumatumim that gave messages, the ark that didn't take up any space, etc. 10 constant miracles. Whereas the second base Hamigdash didn't have any of those miracles. There wasn't the Unumatumim giving the messages on the breastplate, there wasn't the ark. The ark was missing. And the whole miracle of the ark not taking up space, all of this stuff. And yet, in a way, the second base of English was greater. And that's why it lasted longer physically. It was an extra 10 years. First temple stood 410, the second temple 420. Also was taller in physical stature, which represents that ultimately it's greater because it came through Chuba. So the first temple, Hashem shined his light. He was like the teacher who gave us all this message and all this knowledge and all this inspiration, miracles. But the minute he left the room, the minute the inspiration died down, the people sinned. And it was big problems. The second base Hamigdash, less excitement, less revelation, less presence of teacher, more presence of student. They did tshuva. They elevated. So in terms of the level of the inspiration, you can't compare it. The first one's much greater. But in terms of the level of the people, if you will, the second one is much greater. They transformed themselves. And that is, uh, the Chassid explains that the third base Hamigdash will have both. At times, this is explained to be Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, etc. But I'm pointing out that this sikh is very fundamental and is touching upon a lot of these uh, wonderful messages. And therefore, with this, the Rabbi answers the question that he began in the sikh. What's the connection of Pinchas and Yirmiyah? They both have the same theme. They're not just two tzaddikim who rebuke the people. There were many prophets. They're two tzaddikim who rebuked the people in dark times and were able to transform darkness and, 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 and scratch away at it to try to find light. 
bitterness, negativity, and transform it. They both came from non-Jewish women and they became the great prophets. The people teased them and ridiculed them and still it didn't, didn't deter them from teaching those same people. This is all the power of transformation. Whereas normally a top-down teacher, if the students are not interested, I don't have a chance. Who am I talking to? They're not interested. Transformation allows you to go to someone who's negative and ridiculing and ignoring you and say, yeah, I, 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 I'm not even paying attention. I'm not going to teach you. In which case, if you ignore me, I can't teach. I'm actually going to transform you so you'll teach yourself. And therefore, they were able to come from non-Jewish women and become such great prophets. And the Rebbe finishes the Sikha with a great length. Um, Explaining, therefore, why the first half of the Haftorah is there. If we want to connect the Haftorah to the three weeks, to the theme of Pinchas, to the theme of transformation, start with the part where he becomes a prophet and rebukes the people. Why the whole introduction that he comes and Hashem says, I want you to be my prophet, and he says, I'm a child, I can't do this, and Hashem says, no, you're not. You're really connected to me. You're going to be a prophet to the nations. So the Rebbe says, this is not just another form of humility. Abit Tzadik was humble. This is Yirmiya coming from the place. Where, again, he's a lower level neshama. He's a neshama of, of Ban. And he comes from an un-Jewish woman. He says, God, I'm a prophet. I can impact the world. Who are you kidding? No, I don't know. I'm a child. I'm not. I don't feel embedded in all the kus, like a neshama like Meshach Rabbeinu, embedded in Atzilus. Comes along and he says to him, don't be afraid. And his beautiful language, and the Rebbe explains it at length in this Sikha, where he says to him the language, Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Translation, before you became a neshama on the lower level of Ban and the world of Bria, etc., you were one with Hashem. The neshama, all neshamas come from Hashem, ultimately, from Atzilus and beyond. Before you came out of the womb, you were holy. This is talking about the fact that even... Any level neshama in the womb learns the entire Torah. You're selling yourself short by thinking that you, you can't do this. I'm going to make you a prophet to nations. And the Rebbe says every word is perfect. Specifically, the bottom-up prophet can reach the nations, can reach the Goyim. In his case, he comes from Goyim. He has the power of transformation because his great-great-great-grandmother was Roch of the harlot. He's able to transform darkness to light. And he, Hashem says, you think you're nothing? Not only you're not nothing, you're a prophet to the game. You're a prophet to darkness and you can transform it. And I am with you. Don't be altinim if name, beautiful languages. And you will bring goyim and kingdoms, etc. And you'll be able to destroy, you'll be able to build and you'll be able to accomplish great things that even other prophets, perhaps, uh, maybe loftier souls could not. And therefore the Haftorah, this introduction is very relevant to the Haftarah, because it's telling us all about who this person is. See, the Rebbe is illuminating the entire conversation. Who is Yirmiya? Who is Pinchas? What's their connection to this time of year? It's not just another prophet. And there have been many. It's a prophet of bottom-up. It's a prophet of, of the lower-level neshama that transforms. It doesn't just illuminate from above. Transforms himself and the world and the physicality and the goyim. And the, there's no limitation. There's no stopping. Just like Pinchas was for all generations, there's no stopping because if something permeates and transforms the student, if you will, it never goes away. It stays there forever. And the Rebbe says in the last footnote of the Sikha, a fascinating thing. That's why we look at the first and the last redemption. The first one is Moses. The last one is Elijah the prophet. Is going to usher in. The first redemption was temporary. 
even though it's a prelude to all, but nevertheless, it was temporary. It wasn't the final Mashiach. And, and because Moshe, because it's a top down the Shema, it's a temporary light, as great as it is, it doesn't necessarily have the staying power of, of eternity without a break. Whereas Elijah, Leo, and introduces the final Geula of Mashiach, because his soul is bottom up in the Shema of Ban, the Shema of Pinchas, as explained earlier at length. If I can just say that to me, uh, this, is, uh, this is speaking to our time, we have a Gimel Tamils. And everybody said, the Rebbe, you were supposed to bring Mashiach. And the Rebbe, obviously, the plan is for us to, so to speak, do it without the Rebbe's physical presence. And how could it be? And how could we do what the Rebbe can't do? I think the Sikh is exactly that. The Rebbe represents the Neshama of Ma, the lofty soul of Moshe. We represent the Neshama of Ban. Nobody here is a Pinchas or an Elijah. But nevertheless, certainly, the lower level soul. And we have a virtue that we contribute to Moshe that the Rebbe itself, so to speak, can't. Namely, the bottom up, the tikkun of the darkness, because we relate to darkness. We know what darkness is. We know what Yetzirah is. We know what physicality is. And we deal with it door-to-door combat, especially after Gimel Tammuz, when the world is a darker place, so to speak. And in that world, we don't give up. We keep on trucking. This is the Pinchas element. This is the Jeremiah element. This is the element that will bring the Geulah and will bring the concept of eternity. However, not to forget that even this, we get from the power of Meishu And this is, by the way, something, in our case, from our Meishu from the Rebbe. This is echoed parenthetically in the Ve'ata Tetzave Maimer, which is many people consider the Rebbe's Tzavoa, the Rebbe's last Maimer that he left for us in the meantime until Mashiach comes and we have the Rebbe back. And what did the Rebbe say in that Maimer? That Moshe Rabbeinu inspires the Jews, he brings, uh, he elevates the, the Jews, but that the Jews bring oil to Moshe and the Rebbe finishes the Maimer by saying, but as great as Moshe Rabbeinu is, the Jews actually contribute and elevate Moshe and give him something, so to speak, that he doesn't have himself. Namely, the concept of from the bottom up, very much along the lines of what we're learning here, elevating the tachton, the lowest levels. However, in that Maimon itself, it says, how does a Jew do it? How does a Jew bring, contribute something to Moshe? And Moshe doesn't have, only because of the power of Moshe. Because Moshe is the essence, and he reaches every Jew. In their essence, they now can bring from the bottom up something back to Moshe. But it's all from his power. It's all from his energy. Same thing in our model. The Rebbe didn't leave us, and all the kaychas that we're seeing the Hasidim have 28 years after Gimel Tam was not letting up, but on the contrary, doing more and more. All that is the kayach of the, of the Nasi Adar, which he put into each of us. At the same time, though, telling us, I need you to do this. Don't say you're nothing and you can't make a difference. You can be a prophet to the nations and will truly uh, bring the third Geula through Pinchas and through Aliyah, etc.